Welcome to the University of Wyoming Today. On this program, you'll hear about what's making the news and about the people and events at UW. You'll also learn about some of the leading research that's taking place at one of the region's top universities. And now, here's today's edition of the University of Wyoming Today. Hi, Jim Kearns with you. Today we'll be looking at the possibility of states controlling federal public lands, and we'll hear how beavers are contributing to the mountain ecosystem. Missy Samp will be reporting on a new ranking by a national business magazine, too. But to start out, we want to update you on the process to replace the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. It appears now that the Senate Republicans will thwart any attempts to replace Scalia until after a new president is in office next year. Distinguished Professor Stephen Feldman teaches the Constitution at the University of Wyoming College of Law. He says the lengthy delay could have some bearing on the outcome of important decisions that come before the Supreme Court in light of the fact that if there is a 4-4 to vote, the case reverts to the lower court's decision. In cases that are likely to be 4-4, and there's some very important cases that could be 4-4, then yeah, they're, they're, the court is, is basically not doing its job then. And that's the big problem here. It's going to be affirming lower court decisions just because the court's incapable of deciding because of this institutional problem. Now, I do want to make the point that some cases are more politically salient than others. In other words, they're more politically charged. Back when Justice Scalia was on the court, not every case was decided five to four, right? Now, a lot of important cases are politically salient and are decided five to four, like, you know, like the same-sex marriage case from last, last term. Okay, But the court does decide some cases, which are 6-3, 7-2, and so it still could come down with some decisions in you know, the current term or next term if there's still only eight justices. They could still decide some cases where it may end up being 5-3 or 6-2 or 7-1 or even 8-0, but the really politically salient or politically charged cases like involving uh, abortion, affirmative action, presidential power, let's say over... You know, with climate change or presidential power with immigration, those could end up being 4-4. Um, the Supreme Court has previously made decisions without the full nine members participating, but Professor Feldman and others say such a lengthy delay in filling a vacancy is unprecedented. You're listening to the University of Wyoming Today. I'm Jim Kearns. The recent effort to occupy a national wildlife refuge in Oregon was the latest in some attempts to take over lands controlled by the federal government. Professor Deborah Donahue teaches public land laws in the University of Wyoming College of Law. She says there was a time when the federal government couldn't give its lands away. As soon as the federal government came into being, had disposed of lands to individuals, to return soldiers in the form of scrip, uh, 
to states, to uh, railroads, to canal companies, you name it. So all of these lands are lands that the federal government initially acquired. Um, and then the lands we still have are the lands that either Congress could not dispose of, which applies to an awful lot of lands in Nevada, nobody wanted them. You know, in fact, the BLM lands used to be called the lands no one wanted. They were the driest, they were the, uh, you know, most arid, the least productive. Uh, Congress tried a lot of different ways to get rid of them, to give them away. Um, through homesteading acts, and then when homesteading didn't work, through the Desert Land Entry Act. Uh, Congress even passed statutes that uh, were called preemption acts that endorsed or authorized uh, squatting on public lands. Um, in 1840, I believe it was, Congress passed an act saying, come on, come, you know, you don't have to have any authority under federal law other than this act, and you can obtain title that way without going through the homesteading process, without paying any money, etc. That's law professor Deb Donahue. She says movements such as the Sagebrush Rebellion have no legal basis to stand on, especially since the 1976 Federal Land Management Policy Act. It will, from this point forward, be federal policy that lands that are federal, that are in federal ownership now will stay in federal ownership. That's one of the, 1976 was the date of, the, uh, of FLIPMA, it's known as, and that corresponds pretty closely with the first Sagebrush Rebellion. That was one of the things that, uh, that Nevada in particular, which was the, the birthplace of the first Sagebrush Rebellion, objected to, that those lands would stay in federal ownership. And Nevada passed uh, legislation just saying that the federal government would transfer the lands to their ownership. And there's more than 30 million acres of federally owned land in Wyoming, accounting for nearly half of all Wyoming land. When the early explorers first came out west, they found the streams and ponds were just teeming with beavers. Matt Hayes has been researching beaver populations for the Wyoming Cooperative Fish and Wildlife Research Unit at the University of Wyoming. They started trapping beavers, then through, kind of through time, um, people continue to trap beavers for their pelts, but then you also, um, a lot of people saw beavers as a nuisance or pest species because they're making these dams. Uh, and then we start having roads and, you know, the, the dams start clogging up culverts and they wash roads out. So a lot of places, beavers were actually extirpated, um, just trapped out, period. They rid them in the ecosystem. Um, but then there have been, throughout the West in general, there have been a lot of reintroductions because we saw that kind of what was happening. We were losing all that, that vegetation community. So we needed beavers in the system. So they were either reintroduced back into the system or they were allowed to recolonize upstream. So... You'd have beavers in down, downstream reaches, and they would slowly just start, um, as they reproduce, the offspring would start going upstream further and further until they colonized all the watersheds. Researcher Matt Hayes, he says beavers are helping to manage the ecological and hydrological systems in Wyoming's riparian areas. Especially in Wyoming, where we have a pretty dry climate, so we don't have water year-round. When beavers are in a system, they of course make dams uh, where then we get beaver ponds and we have habitat for fish. 
Um, but what that also does is it changes the dynamics in those systems so you have more water. So when you have more water in the soil, you then are able to grow things like willow and aspen. But at the same time, you can't grow uh, pine type trees in that same system, conifer trees. There definitely, I think, is a middle ground. I think we, we know that they have valuable use in the ecosystem. They provide real benefits. But on the flip side, uh, you know, on those private lands, ranchers and others that work land need to be able to make a living doing that. I suspect that instead of just not having them at all, there could be some middle ground where there were some beavers and they were contributing and actually probably increasing the value of that land to land managers. And there are some aesthetic values too. And they're easy to explain if you've ever been near a mountain stream when the brook trout are jumping at sunset. A national business publication is ranking the University of Wyoming in the top 15% of the nation's public colleges and universities. Missy Samp has some details. UW is listed in 71st place among 477 four-year public institutions across the country in the new rankings from Business First, the nation's largest publisher of local business news and information. The rankings are based on 20 indicators of academic excellence, affordability, prestige, diversity, and economic strength. Business First says it aims to pinpoint public colleges and universities that offer the best educational experiences based on criteria such as retention and graduation rates, affordable tuition and housing costs, and college rankings by publications such as Forbes and U.S. News & World Report. I'm Missy Samp, reporting for the University of Wyoming today. Missy Samp stopping by our studios in the ornate Bureau of Mines building. I'm Jim Kearns, and that's it for my time. Thanks for yours. That's it for this time. Join us again for the next edition of the University of Wyoming Today. Today.